We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hello and welcome to the Arsenal Vision podcast. Daily, World Cup, post-match, whatever, blah! My brain is still absolutely swivelling as we are recording just minutes after the end of um, Saudi Arabia versus Mexico and Argentina versus Poland, which is just permutations and my head is still spinning from all of it really um obviously i'm not elliot uh, it's tim stillman as you'll probably have clocked elliot's not available tonight and the way that we decided on who should present the podcast was on fair play points um but that was equal so we no not really it's just i was available so i did it but as ever um, I'm joined by Phil Costa to kind of break down some real drama on the final match day in groups. God, what groups are these? C and D? Can't yep. even remember. Yeah, C and D. <laughs> Phil, Phil, bring some sense to this absolute ramble. How are you doing? Good. How are you doing? Heart rate back down to normal? Recovered? <laughs> no, no, not Deep at breaths. all. Yeah. No, I, I don't have like, Seriously, I don't have a single dog in this fight. I guess I've got some Australian friends. I've probably got some Danish friends. I've probably got French friends, but Australia kind of sticks out, but I haven't watched any of their games in the tournament. But still, like the unbelievable tension of all of this, and we were just saying before the recording, I think basically in a World Cup, the best matches are... Match day three in the group, the final game of the groups, and the semi-finals. Semi-finals, as a general rule, I think are better than finals, and I think that's true in the Champions League. But I love—I don't know about you, Phil—I love match day three because as much as I hate group stage football generally, when it's three matches and you get all these teams in the mix who probably know they haven't got a chance of winning it, but getting to the last sixteen is like such a, a goal for them it just it just felt felt like a crazy day yeah we, we've spoken about it with Elliot and what I've loved about this this World Cup in particular is that there was so much to play for 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 so much of the teams left so many of the teams left involved and you know obviously France had qualified Brazil Qatar were out but aside from that everyone was kind of you know 
they had a horse in the race and it was and it was just brilliant because like you said as much as you know there might be favorites to go through and teams who are maybe not expecting so much it's just one of those days where you have to keep a live table next to you just to try and make sense of what's happening because all of a sudden it can be a a green arrow going up and then they concede again and then it's a red arrow going down and they're in last place and you're just like what the fuck is going on um but it's it was just brilliant and this is what i wanted because for so long it it, it didn't feel like a world cup mm. and there's been moments and little things happening that have slowly made it closer to a world cup than you know that then you would have wanted you know because there's been a lot of ill feeling and, and and difficulty getting attached to this World Cup, but there's been a couple of things, and today was just brilliant. I loved every second of it, and and this was some some classic World Cup calcio. Yeah, yeah, I, and I think like the, it was always going to be a slow burner just because of the lack of preparation time, um, and like you said, like the the kind of the political landscape around it. Somehow, I managed to fit in a Twitter argument with John Barnes about um, homophobia in Qatar. Oh, what an idiot he is! I'm so <laughs> since when did he become the spokesperson for morality this week? It's just oh. well, um, I, I think uh, I think he's the spokesperson for um, some Qatari companies, but we won't go into that. <laughs> but yeah, like this and you know some of the reason honestly that i've missed some of the games is because like uruguay south korea if the premier league's been away a month i might look at uruguay south korea with different eyes but like when it had only been away a week or 10 days i was a bit like do you know what i don't need to watch uruguay south korea but now we're in the tasty part of the tournament and let's start with let's start at the beginning of the day um the three o'clock kickoffs uk time um and well we kind of took a match each here and you watched denmark versus australia which i think is probably the more slightly only slightly more interesting one just because both teams had something on it to go through and i have to say even at half time with these two games I would not have predicted that Australia and Tunisia would win and Australia would go through. What what did you make of Denmark versus Australia? Yeah, totally. I mean, like you said, two teams with with plenty to play for, lots on the line and I mean my my overriding sentiment is that Denmark just genuinely disappointed me and underwhelmed. You know, I I I think it's been the the story of their group stage really. I you know, I don't know which idiot backed them to be dark horses, <laughs> but, um, you know, almost as silly as the people who suggested Turkey last Turkey, year. Yeah. Anyway, they are on. the Turkey um, of the World Cup. <laughs> who would have done that? I mean, yeah. Um, yeah, but they just seemed kind of hell bent on playing every game as slowly as possible, which, which was, you know, the complete antithesis of what they were last year. Uh, so I didn't really understand why that was happening because the, the players were mostly the same, you know, uh, and ideally or theoretically they would have only got better after time and they had a really good qualifying round and I just felt so underwhelmed. I mean, today it was just between the centre-backs, Hoiberg way too conservative um, and I think you would have been better off having two trampolines up front than, than you know, Braithwaite and Skov Olsen because it just kept bouncing back and... You know, uh, I think Elliot will be happy to hear that the only player really who emerged with with any credit was um, Jesper Lindstrom, who 
was the only player who was injecting a bit of urgency, a bit of pace into their front line. Um, you know, Joachim Anderson was was decent as well. He's got an, an excellent passing range, but I don't know. I just there was something missing, uh, and that's not to take anything away from Australia. Uh, you know, they they fought hard for their win, really hung on towards the end. But for me, the the overriding feeling was one of disappointment from Denmark's point of view. Yeah, I I look at Denmark and I I I really expected them to get through this group like fair well I say fairly comfortably. I always expected Argentina to win it, but I really uh sorry, Argentina France to win it other group. Mm-hmm. Um but I really expected them to go through quite comfortably and I my impression looking at Denmark in this tournament and I think this is a common theme among a lot of these middle tier nations is I look at them and I think back three, like lovely back three um, with, with uh, Kier and, and, um, and Anderson and Ericsson, lovely like um, uh, creativity. Damsgaard, I know he's had a lot of injuries, but I really rate him as a player. I think Brentford have got like a good pickup there, but they lack a striker. And the I the problem I kind of look at is not only do they lack a top striker, but all their strikers are so different. Mm. And because none of them's the overwhelming choice, they kept chopping and changing and really changing what they were doing. And I, I think their goal scoring statistics in this tournament kind of tell you the story for them, don't you think? Yeah, definitely. And you know, like you said, Australia scored in the sixtieth minute. And Denmark did not create a single chance of note for the next 36. You know, your World Cup's hanging in the balance. You know you need to win. And they were just strolling about, aimlessly crossing into the box. And it's like, you're better than that. You know that in Euro 2020, they were pushing the wingbacks forward, getting Damsgaard, uh, you know, close to goal. But it was just very stale, uh, which is a shame. I mean, I don't know if their form at Euro 2020 was a combination of playing in front of the home crowd, whether it was, you know, a a strong sense of togetherness, you know, banding together after the Ericsson incident, I'm not sure, but it was just, yeah, very slow, very passive and and a big shame. But again, that's not to take anything away from Australia who, you know, they didn't produce much going forward, but defensively they, they really gave everything. I mean, their shape and commitment were brilliant throughout and that's not, me being reductionist they were simply managing the game as the underdogs and you know they've got their goal on the counter and they def- I mean I'm going to turn into a, a Harry Sutar fan account very slowly because he uh, you know get that man out of Stoke immediately he was <laughs> unbelievable like he has the biggest frame I've ever seen he just looks awkward and gangly and he shouldn't be good but he is brilliant um, and the amazing thing is he's only just come back from rupturing his ACL. He played one game for Stoke before the World Cup. So he's coming in completely cold and he's just bossed the last two games. And oh, sometimes you just need a huge challenge. And he put in three or four today and I, I was ready to pump my chest myself, you know, and it was, <laughs> it was brilliant. He was outstanding. 
it's it's uh, like uh, right up until the end Australia is just not the team I'd have picked especially when you look at the way they qualified as well like yeah. uh, that penalty shootout and uh, mm-hmm. uh Redmayne is it John Redmayne um the the backup goalkeeper yes, it is. And, I was going to yeah. say Eddie but he's the actor isn't he Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> with his kind of antics in the shootout um and all of that and the thing is I look at this Australia team and I think 95% you look like most of the Australia teams I've seen at the World Cup and I heard the coach um, after the Tunisia game like really talking up like he kept saying like guts, hearts, determinate like he clearly, clearly I think understandably clearly went into the tournament with a this is what we're going to come with um, kind of thing And because I look at Australia and I think yeah you look like the kind of Australia teams I remember, but without that Kuehl or Viduka or mm-hmm. Cahill type figure. So for them, for them to go through in this group is is just absolutely phenomenal. And like it just, they just never looked like they were going to until they score that goal against Denmark. But so that that sets them up um, for a last sixteen tie with Argentina. Um, it does. It I does believe. indeed. How how do you see that one going? I see a, kind of a similar formula of the game, really. I think it's going to be Argentina with the ball, Australia sitting back, trying to um, you know contain as much pressure as they can and then trying to get something on the break. I mean, they've got some good players. You know, Aaron Moy, we know what he's all about. Um, obviously, I've mentioned Harry Sutan, Matt Ryan in goals, very experienced. I just think going forward, they lack a little bit of quality. Um but, you know, if you're willing to, you know, not to take a, a Neil Warnock phrase, but if you're willing to die for three points, <laughs> um, you never know. Really, you never know. Tournament football is is bizarre. Um, and they go in as massive underdogs, but it's an, a, an incredible occasion for them. And th- did you see any of the scenes from like Melbourne? And, yeah, and like qu- four it, o'clock in the it morning. It looks incredible. Like genuine, for, not, for a nation that's not supposedly, you know, a football nation. I mean, they are getting behind this team and it's it's brilliant. I love it. This is what the World Cup should be about. Yeah, 100%. And there are there are two stats, I think, to wrap up on this game that, that I think really tell a story. I think I read something like 60% of Denmark's XG against Tunisia was from set pieces. So that tells you um, a lot about their kind of lack of creativity. And I don't know how it ended, but I just saw a tweet from Opta Analyst 35 minutes into the game and the Australia player with the most completed passes was Matt Ryan um, <laughs> in goals. So, you know, I, I think... Tells its story. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And actually, as as a segue into the Tunisia-France game, which I watched and I'll, I'll cover off quickly, like at halftime, Gabby Logan in the UK was on the BBC commentary and she and it was nil-nil at the time. And she just said, if, if, you'd ne- if you didn't know who these two teams were and I told you that one of them had made 11 changes and didn't need a result and the other one <laughs> really needed a result, really needed a goal, but has trouble scoring goals... You'd know which one is which, and that was that was really the story of this game for a long time. So, France almost flaunting their depth really with all these changes, but it it had France had a real Arsenal Europa League feel to me in that Deschamps didn't make those changes because he wanted to look at other players. Like Camavinga played at left back. Don't think that's ever happened before. Genduzzi kind of played on the left wing in the first half in a sort of 4-4-2 with Coman kind of 
pushed up front. It was really weird. But I mean, essentially, like given that France have already got two injuries, so they're, they're down to a squad of 24, they made 11 changes. Uh, Nkunke, yeah, Nkunke, Benzema injured. And they still fielded Camavinga, Wesley Fofana. Um, their captain was Raphael Varane. Saliba didn't even get in. He came on with like 25 minutes to go. I mean, scary depth, but the, like France were massively, massively disjointed. And essentially the way this game went, they just looked disjointed all the way through. Tunisia had the better of the first half. They made five changes from their game against Australia. This game had a little bit of extra flavour because of the, shall we say, the geopolitical feeling uh, between Tunisia and France. Mm-hmm. A lot of Tunisia fans in the stadium. And then, you know, Kazri scores a goal um, in the second half and he was the only one that was going to score for Tunisia again. What was Varane doing as well? I saw I, that. Yeah. I saw that. So lethargic, wasn't he? I mean, maybe he didn't want to pull anything going into the into the I knockout th- stages, but it was really crap. I think that was it. I think having had that injury coming into the tournament and nearly missing it, I kind of think that that was in his mind. And then, you know, he casually scores and it's like the only play, like he had a few long range shots. It was very much, it's going to be him or no one for Tunisia. But as soon as that goal goes in, Australia score, and it just renders the whole thing <laughs> a little bit redundant. And then, like, France bring on Mbappe, Griezmann, like, really unleash the troops. Um, and and actually, there was, there was some weird scenes at the end because you could see the Tunisia players on the bench checking, like they were watching someone's phone. For the I think Australia it was a photographer, game. wasn't it? Or That's like, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I saw the clips. It was really good. Yeah, yeah. And like one of them asked the Tunisia coach what the score was and he he said like, forget it, focus. And then it looked like France had equalised anyway, both through Griezmann and that was disallowed. But essentially this game, I mean, Tunisia won and they deserved to win. They were much the better team. France clearly didn't really care about this game, um, to be honest. Um, but a, a fifth uh, win for an African nation at a World Cup, which is already a record for African nations, which um, I think is worth not much comfort for Tunisia. But kind of still a lot of Tunisia fans at the end look reasonably happy, I think, because they beat France, and that has a lot of meaning for them as well. But ultimately, a game that didn't really matter um, beyond any other reason than that because of what happened in the original one, what France now go on to play um, Poland uh, in the last sixteen? What what have you made of France in this group stage and their chances of of going on to win the thing? Yeah, I mean, firstly, I, I do think Tunisia gave a really good account of themselves during this group stage, and um, I think it's something that we haven't seen often before. Whereas the, the kind of quote unquote lesser nations, smaller nations, have really come to play. Uh, which I've really enjoyed. And, and one particular player, Aisa Laiduni, he's playing in, in, in the midfield for Tunisia. He plays in Hungary. I mean, someone's yeah, going to go Ferenc and snap Varos, him up. isn't it? Yes, yeah, someone's going to yeah. go and take him in January. And, you know, that's a gem that, that somebody's discovered here. Um, but in terms of France, I mean, it was clear, like you said, this was very much the French B team. Um, you know, there was like players like Jordan Vera too playing... You know, Camavinga at left back, as you mentioned, you know, it was very much who's fit, can you play, uh, whose legs can I rest for for the next game? So 
I don't think there was too much on the line for France. I think their first 11 is very settled as it, as it usually is under Didier Deschamps. Um, but I, th- I think they've got gears to go. And I, when you've got a solid enough base, I think defensively they're strong, you know, whether it's Varane, Konate, Saliba, they've got a lot of options there. Chuamani just kind of screening the front. It's, it's very strong. It's very impressive. So I, you know, for me, along with Brazil, they're one of the favourites. Um, and I'm sure we'll touch on Poland a, a bit later on, but they, I don't think I've seen a team offer so little um, in three games and still somehow go team through. In the group. Yeah. Yeah. Shocking, really, really bad. Uh, you know, if it wasn't for some heroics from a certain goalkeeper, they would be, they would be nowhere near the, the knockout stage, but Hey, they are. So, and they'll believe, look, they'll believe they've got a chance, but I would be astonished if France do not dispatch them pretty easily and swiftly. And if it, if they don't, then it would be a one hell of an upset. Yeah. I mean, I guess they, they, they lost to Switzerland in the last 16 of the Euros last year. I, I think mm. Switzerland are a better team than Poland have looked, but I mean, for me with France, I, I think, you're like France look France remind me of Brazil actually in that they kind of look like an international team should look where the eight players kind of behind the ball the seven or eight players behind the ball all just know what they're doing and then they've got this nicely balanced front three and like you look at the fact they lost Benzema and even though Giroud quality wise is not in Benzema's class tactically he fits perfectly yeah, because yeah. his his job is not to be the main man. His job is to like let let Mbappe and facilitate to a degree. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it doesn't really matter. And then the thing that really makes them look weaker before the tournament, losing that midfield double pivot of Pogba and Kante, and then they just put Chumeni and Rabiot. Um, and again, Rabiot, a player I've never really been sure about. Um, actually, in fact, he reminds me of Genduzi in so many different ways. Um, but that too many uh, Rabio kind of double pivot actually looks pretty good. He's and found looks, his Matuidi. He's found yeah, his Matuidi. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And it looks to me, in fact, on the basis of this tournament so far, that Pogba. I, I mean, I think Kante's kind of on the way out anyway. But Pogba and Kante might be a thing of the past anyway. That like they might have just solved that problem. So, and the other reason they remind me of Brazil is I just think like Mbappe is maybe their Neymar in that they do have other quality attacking players that can come in, but Mbappe is the one player you look at and go, oh, you'd, you'd, you'd lose something that you can't quite replace um, there. So if they keep him fit, I, th- I, th- I think they've got as good a chance as anyone, um, quite frankly, and, unless they unless they France it up and have a big fight over dinner or something or <laughs> who got who got the last bit of bread at lunch or something like that um you know they they could go very very deep so they play Poland I think they should smash Poland <laughs> and why don't we come on to Argentina but well I kind of think we've got to take Argentina Poland and Saudi Arabia Mexico together um I mean why don't we start with Argentina, Poland, considering that's... Uh, why don't we start with the first halves of these games and then we can just go, ah, for the second half of the game. So <laughs> first half of Argentina, Poland for you, um, with, with a bit of an Arsenal contribution in there as well. What did you make of that? Yeah, I mean, it. first of all, it was already more positive for me before the game even kicked off because Enzo Fernandez starting 11, Julian Alvarez 
in the starting 11. And for me, they just seemed like, especially Enzo, just seemed like such an obvious pick. Um, and it took him two horrible, stodgy performances to finally get him in there. And I just think as as good as Lautaro Martinez is, he's not the kind of striker that can run beyond. You know, he likes mm. the ball to feet. He's in and around the box. And I just think Julian Alvarez stretches defences, you know, and I just think Argentina desperately lacked that during the first couple of games. So even before the game had kicked off, for me, that was an instant positive. And they took control of the ball very early on. I mean, it was totally understandable. Poland didn't want any of it. (laughs) And when they did have it, they were just booting it up to Lewandowski, who suddenly had Christian Romero, Otamendi breathing down his neck. And, you know, it's impossible for him to do anything there. But Did you you see Chesney's pass map from this game? (laughs) No, I haven't. (laughs) It looks like the the opening titles of Dad's Army um, with like just big red arrows going towards Straight in the corner. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, yeah, it wasn't pretty. Um, I mean, it was already 4-5-1 and they, they made their intentions very clear. But I thought... Argentina looked a lot sharper, a lot crisper than they had done in the in the previous games. You know, Messi was actually finding some space, but more importantly, there were people around him. Too often, yep. Messi was receiving the ball and there was nobody within 20, 30 yards. And it was just, you know, how can you not support this man? Um, you know, he can't do everything anymore. He's not 28. So they look to be more of a balanced side, particularly midfield, which was, which was a good sign. Um, a couple of chances, but nothing super clear cut. And then obviously, you know, the penalty, this, can I even call it a decision? It was a farce, (laughs) a penalty farce. Um, And somehow they called him over to the monitor. And as soon as they go over, you just think he's going to give it, isn't he? Um, And that was, oh, I, I can't even, it's just not a penalty. It's just not a penalty, is it? And I don't know what you thought about it, but, if we give those, it's going to be the the old cliche. You're going to give three or four a game. Um, yeah, dreadful. I mean, he 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 missed a punch. Like, I I really don't think that it wasn't uh, even a punch. He just he, he tried to palm yeah, it away. Yeah, 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 yeah. And like, I don't think he really stopped anyone doing anything either. Like, no. I don't think it interrupted the flow of play. I mean, so I I, I didn't. You know, I saw the highlights of this game, didn't watch it. I have thoughts about Argentina just because I have watched them a fair bit over the last two years and they, they've looked shit hot for about two years now. They really have. But I think one of the things that happened to them in this tournament, they've obviously got a really inexperienced coach in Scaloni. This is the only uh, head coach job he's ever had and Argentina got him because he was cheap, basically. But he kind of stumbled because the first couple of games of his reign, he wanted to play formation. It didn't work. They got rubbish results. He changed. It worked. And he just stuck with it. And actually the Lautaro Martinez and Messi thing was working quite well. Di Maria and Lo Celso around him. Lo Celso has been a big loss for Argentina. And the thing is, the story of the last two years, it's just worked for Argentina. And I think what happened was they lost that Saudi Arabia game, which to me was just a freak result. And actually, I, I mean, they weren't great, Argentina, but honestly, it was just a bit of a freak. And because A, Scaloni is quite inexperienced, and B, one of the things, I know Chite talked a lot about this over the years with Brazil, about wanting them to have tough friendlies, and Argentina and Brazil hate the Nations League because it denies them the chance to play big European opposition. And one of the things Chite always talked about was like, 
I kind of want to see my team go 1-0 down in some of these friendlies because, frankly, they don't against other South American teams. And I think the story for Argentina is everything's just gone right for two years and then something went wrong in the first game and Scaloni massively, massively filled his pants and like made all these changes that I don't think he really needed to make. And, yeah, it, it sounds like they were a little bit more like the Argentina of the last two years rather than the one we've, we've seen in Qatar from, from what you're saying. Yeah, definitely. I mean, they, they look like a team today too often in this world cup, they they were too disjointed, lacking any kind of attacking cohesion. You know, I thought Rodrigo de Paul was incredibly fortunate to start after his disaster class in the last game. And this first 45 minutes, he was dreadful again. I mean, to be fair, he turned it around, but I just think having McAllister and Enzo Fernandez gave them a lot of youth and energy and bite. And they they really sort of benefited from that. And, you know, Julian Alvarez didn't touch the ball so much. It wasn't like he was involved like a Gabriel Jesus was. But whenever he was on the shoulder, you thought, oh, 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 you know, there's a way in for them there. And I just think a couple of changes, freshen things up. It helped that Poland didn't come to play. Um and, you know, even though it was nil nil at half time, it didn't take them long to to finally to get the breakthrough. And it was McAllister in the end supporting from a deep position, you know, kind of slow finish, but one of those ones that are just out of the reach of the goalie and, you know, right in the corner. So he took it well. And from then on, Messi was just, you could see the confidence, the weight just disappeared from his shoulders. They were getting in time after time. Um, and that was Argentina. That's the Argentina I, I kind of expected before the tournament because they were on a 36 game unbeaten run. I they mean, nearly broke a re- the record. Yeah, like, yeah. Like I mean, two two games away from the all-time record. They're not chumps. They're not chumps. And like you said, I think they just lost the first game. Panic mode activated, um, but they looked much more like their normal selves today. Yeah, and I, and I think with Alvarez, um, again, just to wrap up on this half, uh, with Alvarez, like I do think Messi has. I mean, Messi always looks good, but like when I look at his career, his best Argentina form, I think, really came with Tevez. You know, look at the partnership he had with Villa at Barcelona, like that striker that just says, mm-hmm. "I'm going to run the channels and push everyone back away from you." Like I, I think that he does look generally look um, quite a bit better um, like that, and yeah, I, and I think. By the way, one of the things this World Cup is showing that maybe we we kind of already knew is the quality of scouting at Brighton because Moises Caicedo and Alexis McAllister um, making a big impact. And imagine if someone had told you even eight years ago that two Brighton players, like imagine if someone told you after the 2014 World Cup that two Brighton players would be kind of lighting up the group stages. But another one of the reasons I kind of look at this season to switch it back to Arsenal as a bit of a uh, an opportunity is because Alvarez is not yet world-class, but he will be. <laughs> he will be very soon. And soon they'll have like Alvarez and Haaland and, and then I think it's kind of good night for everyone else. But... That was the first half of that game. The first half of um, Saudi Arabia, Mexico, I mean, atmosphere-wise, because of the proximity, I think, of Saudi Arabia to Qatar, uh, which is pretty much driving distance, both teams needed to win. 
at like the, just the kind of game I love, really. Not that high on quality, but the intensity, both in the stands and on the pitch, it was a proper slugfest. Actually, a very even first half. But one of the interesting things, I think, that opens up the madness of the second half is that Argentina scored just before Saudi Arabia-Mexico kicks off for the second half. I've got no idea if that transmitted to the players. I, I kind of doubt it at that point. It was while they were walking back on the pitch. So that really, that kind of makes you think, okay, Poland are done for here. And then, my word, <laughs> I'd like, I, d- I don't know how much you were watching the second half, but as much as the first half was even, the second half, Mexico took the gloves off. And again, we're talking about another team here to join Tunisia, Denmark, I think Saudi Arabia as well. Mexico looked to me like, well organised, well coached, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But their attacking game plan is basically try and give the ball to Irving Lozano, and Irving Lozano is just not quite. You know, we talk about Poland and trying to get the ball to Lewandowski, and unfortunately for Poland, Lewandowski is an elite player, but he needs service, and I don't think Poland can get it to him. For Mexico, they can get the ball to Lozano, but Lozano's just—he's a good player, but he's not like an absolutely top draw player, but they get a goal from a corner and then Chavez hits this absolutely unbelievable left-footed free kick, postage stamp, top corner, keeper beaten all ends up. And then, and then it's permutations time because Argentina (laughs) go 2-0 up against Poland. And I don't know what, I mean, I don't think that, I think it's beyond analysis, beyond your actual emotional reaction, but for a good 15, 20 minutes, we had the situation where it was going to be decided on fair play and Poland had two fewer yellow cards than Mexico and Mexico needed a goal and the Poland game finishes earlier. So you've, and, and just, I mean, where do you even start with the last 20 minutes of these, these two games and these three teams who are just really vying for something? I mean, it, it- I, I, it was like watching Mexico on 1.5 times speed. It was just every time I looked at, at the screen, um, I had one laptop with Argentina on my, my other one next to me on, on Mexico. And it was like, every time I looked up, Mexico were just on, on the wing sprinting, looking for people in, in the box. And I was just like, this is brilliant. You know, it was because Saudi Arabia don't really do things in half measures as well. So they're not really the team that sit back. They like to play a high line. They like to snap into tackle. So there was just acres of space behind their, you know, behind their defensive line. And it was one minute, it was Lozano. Then it was, uh, you know, um, Chavez and, you know, then, they brought on substitutes and then they were chucking the ball into Jimenez and it was corners, free kicks. I mean, Chavez nearly hit another worldie of a free kick as well, but the keeper yeah. saved it. And it was just, they scored the offside goal, yeah. you know, and then it was just madness. And then, like you said, you're looking at yellow cards and then, you know, Hector Herrera got a silly one, but then Krikoviak got a silly one. So it like leveled out again. And it was just... It, it was brilliant. I mean, I had, you know, the live table up on my phone the whole time. I think it zapped all of my battery, just having it there. <laughs> um, yeah, just really, really good. And I, the thing is, ultimately, Mexico, I, d- I don't think they showed their best football um, during this group stages. I thought they were quite flat for large spells of their other two games. But like you said, that second 45 it leaves you with a with a feeling of why didn't why couldn't you show that before because 
in terms of what they showed generally i thought they showed a lot more than poland but for me you know the worst team the less adventurous team is 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 going out um and it's it's a huge shame because you know the scenes when when i can't remember who it was who scored the offside goal but it was just incredible you know, limbs up in the air and the fans were you know going crazy in the corners and i you know it was such a an amazing moment that got cut very short but that's those kind of mad games where you're looking at goal difference one minute and yellow cards the next and who's got a corner here and then it's injury time and then Argentina finishes and then Mexico's got another five minutes to go and it's uh, it's it was amazing it was and, it was just brilliant and the real kicker was Saudi Arabia scoring because yeah. that looked like the least likely thing that was going to happen like because in as, as I, th- I think like Saudi Arabia can largely come away from this tournament with their heads held pretty high mm-hmm. um, and you know I think their manager um, is probably going to get with, sorry, with all due respect, I think he's gonna he's gonna get a job, um, probably somewhere he else. Do. Um, yeah. He'll he'll probably have enough credit in the bank for that. And they were brave in the way they did things. Again, like I look at this group and I just kind of think, I really wish like I could just give Lewandowski to either Saudi Arabia or Mexico <laughs> because like they both to me just look like they did so much more um, than those teams, but they just didn't have really didn't have that that kind of ability to not even just to score but to create threat and yeah for Mexico ultimately they score from a corner and a free kick um, and obviously those goals all count the same but in this whole tournament they haven't really opened anyone up um, and that, I think that's what's really cost them but for me Poland like you know like we're saying about all these teams who look well coached and they've come to play as you said but perhaps miss that that kind of figurehead and Poland have that figurehead but I don't know, I don't know about you I, I I felt like this after the Euros I felt like like Lewandowski he's that player that's helping them to qualify for tournaments but when it comes to tournaments like he needs service that's the problem like he's not the guy who's going to make something himself and I kind of think that's why Poland don't look that inspirational. I don't know about you. I mean, the, the thing is, Poland do have a couple of, of of good attacking players. I mean, they've got Zielinski, who's one. Of, he's one of the most formed players in Europe at the moment. But it, for me, it wasn't just the service; it was just the isolation. You know, mm-hmm. they were they were so keen to defend and not give Argentina any kind of opening that they just neglected their own uh, attacking quality and their own play, which for me is understandable in one sense, but also in another, you know, the coach will feel like his ideas have been vindicated after that, but you're, you're leaving a lot to chance like that, you know, and I understand that they can't be Brazil and go and sit on the halfway line and just camp other teams in. But there, there were some moments where they had a chance to break or there were some moments where they, they got to the final third and this and you know the end product awful you know there was one they had on the break Lewandowski played it out to the right wing and the guy just miscontrolled it and it trickled out and I just looked like straight into my hands I was like what the hell was that um but you know it's it's how it is it's how it finished you know commiserations to Mexico because I really enjoyed their second half performance but ultimately it was it just felt like a little bit um, too little, too late, I guess. Um, and I'm sure Poland won't be feeling too great about their <laughs> their date with France in the in the next round. 
No, no, indeed. But, um, you know, I guess they'll watch videos of France, Switzerland uh, from the Euros last time. Um, I, I guess before we wrap up as as well, um, the news that Ben White um, has left mm. the England camp and is unlikely to return due to personal reasons. Um, you know, we, do, we don't, it's none of our business what those are, but, you know, obviously um, hope it's nothing too serious and, and to, at the risk of finishing on a downer, just a real just a real downer for him having like just really made his way in the squad and not seen any game time yet. Yeah. I mean, it was, you know, wishing him the best, obviously. I mean, it kind of felt ominous, the, the statement from Arsenal. I mean, even the one from England felt a bit ominous. So I'm just hoping that everything is okay with him. And, you know, it's, it's, it's never nice to see because I think he absolutely deserved his place in, in that squad and we we're all really happy for him and it's just um you know not a nice moment not a nice moment for him sorry to to have to leave early and and it seems like um it's for a quite a serious reason so hopefully everything's okay with him and, and we're wishing him all the best yeah sure and um I, you know there there are again just to finish there are five either Arsenal goalkeepers or ex-goalkeepers at the tournament, Matt Turner, Wojciech Szczesny, Aaron Ramsdale, Matt Ryan, and uh, I'm missing one here, uh, Emmy uh, Martinez, that's the one. Oh yeah, Emmy, of course, yeah. Um, and they're all through um, to the knockouts. And in fact, I believe all of the Arsenal players at the moment um, are through, although obviously Ghana and Japan have got some work to do yet, but... Um, yeah, at least as much as Poland have been a bit rubbish to watch, I mean, in terms of Arsenal interest, Wojciech Szczesny having quite a tournament so far. What a huge hand that was, my word. I mean, it's the classic halfway penalty. It's not low, it's not high from Messi, but I mean, he hit it well. Um, and he's not only guessed right, but put a massive hand on that. So it was brilliant and it kind of felt a bit you know, justice um, after the terrible decision. But, you know, that's two penalties saved now because he saved one against Saudi Arabia and actually it was part of a, a brilliant double save. Um, and Lionel Messi is the first player in history to have two penalties saved at the World Cup. So... Ah, oh, well, okay. There you go. Quite a stat there from, yeah. from someone you wouldn't expect it from. Yeah, absolutely. And, and look, Chesney absolutely the hero um for Poland really because if any one of those goes in um mm -hmm. they're going out and actually that messy penalty it reminded me a bit of the bail penalty against USA where Matt Turner gets a hand on it it also reminds mm. me of the save that Chesney made from Di Natale uh when we played Udinese in the Champions League qualifier in 2011 Oof, dark days <laughs> dark yeah days. yeah on on the different side um and because Di Natale is right-footed but very very similar save like you said like really strong hand and I everyone knows I hold a massive candle for Chesney I have to say that like not not that it's dimmed but I like I feel like Ramsdale's a very similar character similar mm. like similarly likable similar goalkeeper and actually for the first time since Chesney left I feel really comfortable with our goalkeeper um so I you know I I it for me it was nice to be reminded uh like 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 seeing an ex that like you've got past the kind of um you know the sadness of the breakup and, and you're just glad to see them doing well <laughs> yeah yeah you, you mean you didn't like uh 
big dustbin Dave Ospina too much, <laughs> Tim. <laughs> um, no, I, I, I like my goalkeepers um, in front of the goal line. Um, just and able pers- to kick past the halfway line. I- exactly, exactly. J- just a personal preference there. I'm not telling anyone else. How to <laughs> anyway, I think we've just about caught everything from a pretty breathless day. Um, another one incoming tomorrow. What have we got tomorrow? Is it the Germany, Spain, Japan... Yeah, it's Croatia, Belgium, Canada, Morocco, Morocco, and then yeah. in, in the evening it's Japan, Spain, Costa Rica, Germany. So that's it. Potential yeah. for more scenes. Is what yeah, I'm say. I, I think I, I don't know which one to watch out of um, uh, Japan, Spain, and Germany, Costa Rica. I think I might opt for Japan, Spain, just because um, you know, hopefully Tommy Asu will be fit for that game, and there's a, a little bit of Arsenal interest. But again, like. That's got two teams um, who are who are hoping to go through. So, um, yeah, I I actually think that Germany Spain game on match day two that for me marked the moment the tournament really started. Um, to be honest, so I'm I'm looking forward to seeing how that group finishes. But anyway, that's going to be for tomorrow night's uh, World Cup daily, uh, which I probably won't be on. Um, Elliot will probably be back in the presenting chair for that, but. Um, until then, thank you as ever to Phil Costa, who you can follow on Twitter at, uh, is it Phil underscore Costa or underscore Phil Costa? Underscore Phil Costa. Underscore Phil Costa. Yes. I should have looked that up. <laughs> underscore Phil Costa, uh, who'll be back with Elliot tomorrow night to look over um, some of those games, Morocco, uh, Belgium, Germany, Spain, Japan, all going for stuff. So, Um, probably another pretty hair-raising evening and I I have to say I'm glad I don't have to take notes uh, (laughs) tomorrow night (laughs) on that one but thanks very much for joining us Uh, do join us again tomorrow night for that uh, and we will speak to you after your country 10 someone else's country nil Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. 
Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.